Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. So a great pleasure to welcome today's program, Jeff Melsom, who is Senior Director at Invista. And today we're going to talk about how to successfully implement a transportation management system. Now, the benefits of a, of a transportation management system or, or a TMS, you know, in terms of cost reduction and service improvements, you know, are well documented. But, but none of those benefits are achievable or sustainable if you don't get the implementation right. So what are you know, some of the key factors that go into a successful you know, implementation? You know, what are some of the, the common mistakes that companies make you know, in this area? And you know, considering you know, the, the rise of software as a service, does the SaaS make it easier or harder uh, to, to implement the TMS these days? Well, those are just some of the questions we're gonna discuss in today's episode. It's great to have Jeff on the program, who's, uh, I've known Jeff for a long time, and he's certainly on the front lines of TMS implementations for for many, many years. So he's, he's certainly seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, I, I, would, I, I would think. Uh, so it brings a wealth of experience into this area. So uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Really excited to um, answer some of your questions and, and help people think through how to do this properly. So Great. Well, you know, Jeff, you, you wrote a, a, a recently wrote a guest commentary for, for Talking Logistics. And, you know, one of the interesting things that you wrote is that a successful impl implementation actually begins before you even select a, a TMS. Uh, you know, it begins, you wrote, with answering kind of a basic question, which is, you know, why do we even need a TMS, right? Uh, so can you elaborate a little bit on that point and, and how should companies go about answering that question, the, the why do we need a TMS question? Yeah, sure. When, when we talk to folks, you know, a lot of times the conversation is, uh, we need a TMS. You know, we've seen rapid adoption. We know there's money to be saved, whatever it might be. And, and, and I, our first question is, you know, why? Have you come up with the six or seven or eight uh, key business drivers that drive critical requirements that have been approved and signed off on stakeholders throughout the supply chain, IT, um, executives, whoever might need to be involved before you go down that, that actual selection path? So I would say in terms of a, of a timeline, if you think you need a TMS, you're probably three to six months out from starting an implementation. And that's to get done the documentation, the business case, the roadmap, to gather alignment, to, to document requirements, to go through a robust selection process and find the right partner. That's, that's a three to six month process. You can put it on paper as 12 weeks. Um, but just, just from experience, you need, you need a lot of resources. Um, you've got holidays. You need to give people... Um, four to six weeks after big decisions are made to get comfortable with decisions and, and gain support within their particular group. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a long slog and it starts three to six months out before actually kicking off an implementation project. You know, I, I think what's interesting there, you, you know, kind of taking the other extreme, I mean, there's a lot of buzz today around things like blockchain and machine learning and artificial intelligence and everything else. And, and the advice that I always give companies with regards to those things is very similar to more established you know, solutions, what you just said with something like a TMS or even a WMS or any of these solutions I've been around for, for a long time, is that unless you've got a clear definition of what you're trying to accomplish and what the business benefit is and, or the business problem that you're trying to address and that you've explored, uh, you know, that question, you know, thoroughly, um, then, you, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure, you know, in many ways, or, you know, wasting a lot of time or money or resources because you don't have that clear definition of where you want to go and why you want to, you know, be doing this. So when I read that, I thought, gosh, you know, you know, I've been kind of addressing that question more with these emerging technologies, but it 
it, it kind of makes sense, right? That you obviously have to answer that question when it comes to something like a TMS. Yeah, and, and I'll say, I'll add to that and say when, when someone says we need a TMS and, and, and we say let's, let's start three to six months uh, before that, um, a lot of times those projects are more about strategy and transformation because they've got organizational implications, they've got carrier contracting and 3PL implications, um, you've got other systems that you've got to integrate with or implement or have to happen in parallel. So usually it's a three to five year roadmap. And oh, by the way, over the next 18 months, there's this thing called TMS that's gonna get plugged in, right? Um, so they actually become much broader, those projects, and, and they really are transformational because when, when people um, use tools differently, um, when tasks change, org structures change, right? Uh, and that doesn't mean headcount reduction or addition. That means giving the right people the right work in the right place. So there's there's all kinds of outputs. Like, do you centralize certain activities, strategic and administrative, and do you decentralize the operational pieces? Um, or, or what operational pieces can you centralize while still empowering people in a distribution center or at a manufacturing facility in order to make on-the-spot transaction-level decisions and still have sort of control over service and price while corporate or a, or a main you know headquarter office can make the annual or quarterly decisions around contracting strategies and pricing um, and and some of the administrative things like freight out and bill payment. Yeah, no, great great points. I mean, I think it, it you know the, the bottom line is you know the, the 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 more time that you invest in really wrestling with these questions and 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 kind of bringing everyone in the organization that's going to be involved with this project, you know, getting their input and support and so forth, you know, the more time you can spend on there, the, arguably the, the smoother it will come down once you start getting into the, you know, latter phases of, of an implementation, which I guess the next step is really then, you know, the TMS selection process. So you've, you've gone through everything, you know, you've gone through the process we just talked about. Now it comes time to kind of start figuring out, okay, what's the quote unquote right, you know, TMS, you know, for us. Um, so who should be involved as part of that, that, you know, evaluation and selection process. I mean, how long should that take? And, you know, is it just about, you know, sending out a bunch of RFPs and seeing who checks out, who checks off the most boxes? Yeah, then you, you stick that into the consulting machine and then, then you print out the answer, right? Right. Um, yeah, so the, the, uh, the uh, you, st you still have to do the requirements document. You still have to check yes, no, and, and um, level of priority and all those kind of things. Um, Certainly, that's, that's a huge piece, but really, there's a, there's a couple things you have to consider, okay? Number one, to your point, who needs to be involved, okay? So the business, let's say the transportation folks, of course, you need some additional people within the supply chain from warehouse, distribution, manufacturing, procurement, um, and finance, right? So those are the, the people you touch on a daily basis. You also need to pull in IT, even though, you know, a lot of the tools out there are software as a service, um, you know, true SaaS. Um, you still need IT because I believe, and I might be a little biased, transportation is the most integrated system within an organization, okay? Because it's touching every node in the supply chain. You, you know, shippers typically have dozens or hundreds of carriers. 3PLs or brokers have thousands of carriers, right? So you're integrating, you have vendors, suppliers, so you're integrating with, you know, hundreds of different organizations and dozens of different applications. So you need IT for that, even if it's an externally hosted software as a service cloud platform, okay? Typically IT um, and integration makes up 40% of an implementation. So they need to be involved early and often and, and have a seat at the table. Um, and then of course the, the folks in finance because they're the ones that, uh, that sign off on a budget and, 
and uh, listen to the business case. So, so everyone needs to to be friends with them. Um, in, in, in terms of in terms of the requirements document, which which you joked about and we joke about, and you have to do it, and, and people have to to respond to those. There's a couple of other very important um, documents that that we like to see go into one of these processes. The first one is you know a very comprehensive instruction document to help folks understand what's the business need. You know. Um, you don't have to reveal all of the business case numbers so that respondents can actually figure out the, 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 the total cost of ownership and try to grab as much as the business case. But you, they certainly need to understand why this is happening. Um, it's also very important to have the future state process flows uh, on paper. Not to say those are the exact ones that feed into or are used to do configuration, but it helps them understand the workflow that's being driven towards because that supports the scripted um, demonstration scenarios. The scripted demonstration scenarios, it, we're a document that says, we would like to see um, strategic sourcing. Walk us through these six steps to show how you'd run an LTL bit event on this tool. Walk us through these eight processes to describe an inbound um, route request process. Walk us through these 12 steps for vehicle routing and scheduling for our um, you know, asset-based private fleet. Those are very important because then, then the, the, the buyer or potential buyer of software gets to see real day in the life of what their users are going to be doing um, so that they can, it almost looks like a conference room pilot, Adrian, which, which is done, you know, actually during an implementation. You got to use real data, real transactions, optimize orders, use our locations, uh, make it look and feel like it's ours so that we have a really good sense of um, what the future looks like along with you know, all the other information provided. One, one other document we like to see in this is the future state integration flow diagram. Um, let's say most folks going through this transformation come from legacy applications, a lot of point-to-point -point integration internally and, and not a lot of integration externally. When, when they put in this TMS, they're typically gonna go through a, a, you know, a, a very large change and we like to see companies have an integration application a hub and spoke model to um, pass data between internal and external systems. Providing that upfront helps the, the, the TMS providers really get a good understanding of what they're getting into because it's hard for them to accurately scope an implementation, you know, without all this uh, additional information upfront. Yeah, no, a lot, of, a lot of great points. And, you know, certainly in my experience when I've worked with, you know, shippers in, in you know, putting these types of documents together and, and I usually look at it, you know, I usually serve as kind of external eyes and ears, right? They'll, they have done the exercise. They send it to me just to get another pair of eyes to see if there's any information that maybe they neglected to put in. And I think some of those questions that they forget about are some of those things you just talked about, right? So they talk about, they're very heavy on the feature functions, but less so about, you know, kind of have information around the integrations involved, less questions around, um, you know, a roadmap or future state. You know, and at the end of the day, the more information that you can provide the technology companies that you're looking to potentially partner with, uh, you know, the better able they're able to respond, the better able you are to evaluate whether there's a good alignment there with, with what you're trying to do is, is, is my experience. The, the other thing I think is, is kind of interesting is something I've been writing about and thinking about, too, I kind of get your thoughts, is that it also goes beyond the features and functions and some of these technical things. It's also around alignment around culture and alignment around, um, you know, I guess to put it as simple as that, are we able to work together? You know, do we have good, do we feel confident that we have good lines of communication? There's a cultural fit, uh, that we have the same kind of commitment to where we're going and they're going. 
I mean, do you see that as being part of this process as well? Very much so. That's that's as important as features and functions because you know one could say if if this is the right um, business model for these softwares in this selection, any one of them can meet the requirements, right? You you could say that. So it's then what what really drives this as what's what's going to be the answer, and it's exactly that. How do they communicate throughout the process? Who do they send on site for demonstrations? What type of questions are they asking? Did they use the data provided? Did they did they read and understand the business case and describe the solution in those terms? Um, and and you know, it even comes down to who did they send to do the demonstration, right? You know, we, we know a lot of these tools very well, and we we have um, expectations about where they'll perform well and where they won't. And you know, folks will come in and they'll show something really strong over here, and they'll show something weak over here. And the client says, "Well, we thought they'd be good at this. Let's you know that." It, it, sometimes it comes down to the people. It always comes down to the people, right? Um, so that is a, a very important factor in helping folks determine who do we strategically partner with because when you get into the implementation, it's tough, right? right. You're wrong about a lot of things. Um, you know, budgets go wild and timelines get stretched out and it's got to be a type of person that you can call and, you know, have, have them make a decision, get the right people coordinated, um, figure out um, solutions to problems, and that's really the the cultural aspect. And that's the the cultural aspect. Something that 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 I've personally learned a lot about um, working with shippers and third party logistics providers. Um, and this I would say is probably true about um, you know the software companies and everyone else in this ecosystem. And that is what really makes companies different isn't the fact that they sell this type of widget or they manufacture this type of auto part or they make pet toys or they make um, you know, they, they source, procure, and market chemicals. What makes them different is their culture. And that's what drives their ability to make transformational changes, um, implement systems, deal with adversity. That's the number one difference between any of our clients, not what business segment they're in, not who their customers are or suppliers are. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great point. One of the things that you, you said there in terms of, you know, uh, some, some of these other things to look at is, you know, what kind of questions are the vendors asking you, right? Because I think that shows that they're thinking about, you know, your business, they're thinking about what you're trying to accomplish and they might be seeing, you know, through their questions, they might be, um, you know, showing you that they're really interested in truly fully understanding the, uh, you know, the complexities that you might have and so forth. They might reveal, you know, other opportunities for both the client, uh, you know, the shipper of 3PL in terms of savings opportunities or, or things that they hadn't thought about, um, you know, just through, the, through those questions. Um, all right, so now we've gone through this process. You've selected, you, you ultimately have selected someone that, that meets those functional requirements and kind of there's a good, uh, you know, alignment there with culture and, and fit. And now you're kind of getting ready to kick off the implementation. I mean, what, what questions should companies ask themselves to make sure that, you know, this part of the process now, you know, goes as smoothly as possible? Yeah, there's, there's a couple things that need to happen. Um, and, and I'll try to list as many as possible with the time allotted, Adrian, to make this a successful implementation. Um, number one, got to have a steering committee formed. Um, the steering committee is typically made up of um, executives across the organization and then um, you know directors, managers within transportation and supply chain. These are the people that um, ensure communication has been made throughout the organization about what's expected that has made sure that IT and finance are aligned on the project. They're also the group that meet at major milestones throughout the project 
or when there's a significant disruption and they have to be presented with the facts and make decisions about go, no go, delay, move something up, move something back. Um, we need additional resources, people or time here and there. Um, so that steering committee is very important. The steering committee should have been formed um, as, as, a, as a key group in one of the previous projects, maybe not to meet as often or make decisions, but to walk into this project eyes wide open and knowing how we got here. So you gotta have a steering committee, gotta have very strong project management and, and project management can be um, a, you know, a one person um, operation or it could be a two person operation, someone from the business and someone from IT, it just depends on how organizations work. Um, obviously project plan, extremely important. Um, everything's been budgeted for um, to the best of the ability possible. Timelines have been set, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 24 weeks, whatever it is. Here's what I'll say about timeline setup at the, at the onset of the implementation. It, if you say it's 12 weeks, it's probably gonna be 14. If you say it's 14 weeks, it's probably gonna be 16. If you say it's 16, it's probably gonna be 20. You gotta pick a number um, and you gotta set a date that everyone works towards. Um, make, make it that 16 week, make it the 12 week, but work towards it and have an understanding that you might go beyond. But don't set two, low, two go live dates. Why? Because you'll never hit the first one and you probably won't hit the second one. Yeah, that's a great, you, you know, that's a, that's a great point. I think, you know, project plans, I mean, back in, back in my career when I was, at, you know, starting my career at Motorola and I was, in, I was involved with new product development and, and introducing new products. And, you know, so I, you know, in many ways, my role was really project manager, right? Because I had so many different tasks and, and, and uh, different tracks of things that had to go right and be on schedule to introduce a new product. And it's the same type of thing with an implementation here. I mean, you really have to have that well-defined uh, you know, plan um, and understanding what all the gating items are and so forth. And really that point person or, or team that's really, you know, keeping track of all this. And you, you know, with the understanding that things are going to, things happen and things might, yeah, are going to deviate, you know, from that original plan. But uh, unless you have that plan defined and, and working towards it, uh, it's going to, you know, you end up with chaos, <laughs> with chaos and, and that's, that's never good. I mean, one of the other things that you, I know you've talked about before, and I, you mentioned in the guest commentary is the importance of having a super user. Um, it's, can you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of the role of a super user? It's so important that I skipped it. Um, the, the, the super user, this is probably the most difficult resource for companies to both shippers and 3PLs to train for, um, manage and grow and then retain because those super users are worth their weight in gold. Um, and they come from, they come from multiple places. Sometimes they are the person that's come up through transportation their whole career and knows everything about every mode, right? So you could have really a transportation operator turn into a super user. You could have um, a process engineer, someone who's maybe not a transportation subject matter expert, but has been in a, in a process improvement and is very engineer-minded and oriented that can come in and, and work on this project and become a super user. Um, you could have an IT person. You know, you know sometimes IT people, because they, are, they, they understand databases, they understand development and configuration, they can think through problems like the system does and sort of apply some of the business um, conversation into the tool. Um, so super users come from multiple places, and, and, and we always like to see on the, on the implementation project the super user dedicated full-time and post-implementation, they need to be thought of as at least a 50% FTE. Maybe full-time, depending on how large the organization is and how big the transportation operation is. Um, but they need to have dedicated time. Where we see difficulty is when the super user is asked to wear too many hats, um, either during or after the implementation, and they become they go back into an operations role, uh, and they're not they're dedicating the time to maintain and improve, frankly, 
the, the, the system as the business develops and grows and changes and mergers happen and divestitures happen, right? Businesses are changing all the time. You need to dedicate people to support that change in the system. Um, I, I, it's probably once a week, Adrian, that I receive a phone call or email or text message from someone who just lost a super user, is looking to hire a super user, needs me to, uh, me or someone on my team to review a job description um, to, to go post the, you know, it, it is very difficult for people to, to maintain these resources because they're, they're so, they're so useful and important to the organization. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I know we've, you know, over the years we've, we've, you know, written some blog posts and I think we've even did an episode, uh, you know, not that long ago in terms of the importance of super users, particularly for, you know, for, for a TMS because, uh, and I think that that underscores the point that in terms of the, the value of, of training and cross training across the organization, because that super user, you know, he or she may be promoted within the organization and move on into a different role, or, you know, they may leave, right, for whatever reasons, right? So the, so you want to make sure that uh, uh, you have that level of competency and expertise and knowledge, you know, always within the, uh, within the team. So, so I know that that's an important piece. Um, so so kind of, I got just a couple more questions here to kind of as a way to wrap up. I mean, we kind of alluded to this already, you, you know, we, you know, everything that, you know, we just talked about can go right, but projects can still go over budget and, and, you know, cost more than, you know, and take longer than, than you had anticipated. Right. I mean, um, what are some of the key reasons why that happens? I, I would say one of the top drivers is um, a lack of understanding of all the requirements. So even when you do a very good um, strategy and roadmap and you do a good selection, you still peel back the onion and find out stuff you just didn't know. Okay. That's going to happen. You, you didn't properly define all the requirements that, that are necessary for this project. And that's, that's going to happen. You know, is it 1%? Is it 10%? That can drive things. I would say, um, you know, sort of top or maybe tied for, for, for um, most likely cause is IT resource availability on the client side. Okay. Um, and that's the IT person to support order integration and integration back into you know warehouse management systems and ERPs. Um, I think we've seen that as a, as a major driver. Um, why does that happen? Um, frankly, those, those folks sometimes aren't transportation experts. So it takes them a lot of time to understand the transportation side of the equation and not just the, the IT or, or integration side of the equation. Um, and also just, just overall bandwidth, right? Transportation, well, for you and me is the number one priority in our lives. Um, for an IT person or an IT department, they get pulled away to something that's more important, like the ERP. Or um, I had a project once that was delayed because Apple Pay was announced, you know, September before a holiday season. And this company's a retailer and needed to accept Apple Pay. So where do you think all the IT resources went? To the people that pay them money, their customers, right? Um, so, so there's just things like that you can't prevent um, or sort of negotiate around and frankly, you have to call pause or, or change the project plan. So I would say those are the, you know, the two biggest drivers, unknown requirements and IT resource availability. Yeah, and I think on the IT side, I mean, I, I was talking to you know, someone recently that implemented a TMS and uh, I kind of asked them a kind of a similar type of question, you know, any surprises or things that they would have done differently? And, and one of the things that ultimately uh, kind of extended their project was, uh, was integration related. They just didn't realize that, you know, they had to integrate with a proprietary system and they didn't take into full account, you know, the, the work effort and the, uh, uh, the amount of uh, coding and so forth that was going to take 
it was going to re get required to really make that a successful integration. They just, you know, they, they thought it was going to be more plug and play and, and they just didn't really fully understand the, you know, the, 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 the IT landscape that they were dealing with. To your point, you know, at the very beginning, understand those integrations you talked about earlier. I mean, this was something that they didn't fully understand the integration scope and what was going to be required. And they kind of found out at the 11th hour there as they were going through this, uh, you know, through this process. The, 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 here's how, here's how important I think the integration design is across all of our projects, whether they're strategy, selection, implementation, modeling, and analytics. This is going to sound silly, Adrian, but I review every integration diagram for every client, for every project. Those get passed up because I need to see it and make sure because that drives the most risk on any project or subsequent project. So I have to sign off on every one of those, right? Yeah, no, it's critical. It's critical. Yeah, going back, you know, people focus on the features and functions of the TMS itself, right? But it's some of these things like the integration piece that can, you know, quickly derail things or, or complicate matters. Um, you know, I, I mentioned in my opening remarks how particularly with TMS, I mean, we, we've seen uh, over the past decade, you know, software as a service become really the dominant, you know, deployment model uh, in the industry. I mean, has SaaS made TMS implementations easier or harder or the kind of the rules for success that we've been talking about, you know, the same as for in-house implementations? I think, I think overall macro perspective, it's made it, you know, easier and cheaper, but it's changed some of the problems, right? Um, when, when you, when you go on prem, it is involved from start to finish, right? It owns it. They're engaged. They're invested. When, when they hear SAS, some it departments love to hear SAS. Because they say, "Well, I don't need to be here, right? This is not my this is not my problem to solve." Um, but it's but it's the opposite because you need them for integration. So it's it's sort of created it's a double edged sword there, right? I, I, I've been in meeting rooms where IT folks have walked out after three minutes excited. They're like, "Oh, this is SaaS. I can go. Thanks." We're like, "No, no, we need we need we need you. You don't need to support a database, but you need to support you know four ERP integrations." Um, so it's changed some of the problems. It's certainly shrunk the timeline reduced hardware cost, you know, done a lot of good things. It's changed. I'll tell you one thing it's changed that's very important is the type of super user. Um, you can be a lot less technical. Um, you can be a, a much, you know, let's say focused on problem solving and not, um, you know, database management. So it, it's done some interesting things. The optimizers have gotten a lot easier to use. So you don't have to have a PhD in, you know, telemetry to figure out how the, how the software works. Um, so it's, it's overall, it's been great. It's, it's created a lot of opportunity, um, for a lot more people, I think, to get systems, you know, adoption rates. I remember when I first, I was a super user in 2008. And at that time, um, I remember reading articles. I was a terrible super user my first time. Trust me. I was reading articles trying to answer some of these questions. I wish I could have talked to myself today. Um, I, uh, I was reading articles and the market adoption of TMS on shipper was like 35%. And I think it's probably in the 50 to 60% range now, right? Which is tremendous growth, but there's still, you know, a huge segment of the market that needs tools. And so what I think will continue to happen is the price point will keep dropping, maybe not as rapidly as it has in the past, maybe it'll flatline and there'll, there'll be more and more market adoption and um, the scalability will go down to the, you know, the small shipper and they can get tools that, um, you know, our true SaaS, leverage APIs, things that reduce some of the complexity so that everyone can have a TMS because everyone deserves one. No, I, absolutely. And I, I still think that 50% adoption is still, even that's still generous. I, I still it's kind up. of press, you know, there's no way to really accurately 
you, you know, tell, but I, I, I can tell you, and I know you probably come across this all the time with your, your prospects and, and clients is that I still come across companies, brand name companies, billion dollar plus companies that still don't have a TMS, you know, whether they maybe one division has it, but the other division doesn't or so forth. So that, that, you know, you still come across, you know, those examples. So I think the bottom line is that to your point, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity, you know, out there in, in the market. Um, all right. So Jeff, as a way to wrap up, I mean, are there other leading practices or recommendations you would, you know, offer to companies that are looking to maximize the prob probability of success when implementing a TMS? Yeah, I would say take your time, right? I think a lot of people, there's a huge business case to implement a TMS. And, and you know, you've, you've worked on this for a long period of time. What are, what are the six or eight things that you can do to, to save money implementing a TMS? We, we know what those are. People want to get the business case. They want to have quick time to value, right? They want to say, I can implement this and get savings in month nine, okay? Well, to do that, I got to finish my implementation in 12 weeks. Time out. Let's think about this from a five-year net present value perspective, right? You're going to save millions of dollars in over the course of five years. Let's, let's make a plan. Let's take four, six, eight extra weeks. Let's put a little bit more money into this project. Let's put a little bit more resources, and, and it'll, it'll be fine. And that's, that's something I've learned personally. You know, in the past, I was very aggressive on timelines and, and, and cost and, and trying to keep everything very small and short and agile. And, and I've sort of, I've learned over time and, and, and I think my teams have learned over time that you don't have to rush. There's, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's money at the end of the tunnel. Um, it'll still be there. You just got to take your time and make sure you do it right. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I think there is, you're right. I mean, I know as analysts, we talk about, you know, time to value and, and certainly companies are, are under pressure to kind of demonstrate value quickly. I mean, you know, the days of, you know, multi-million dollar, multi-year implementations. I think those days are, are pretty much gone for for <laughs> for most companies. Uh, so, so that's the one extreme. But the other extreme, uh, you know, to your point is, you know, you can you can rush things so quickly that to try to get that short time to value, but ultimately you're not setting yourself up for longer term sustainable savings, right? So the problems you may encounter, you know, after go live, you know, can derail right, and prevent you from, you know, sustaining, you know, those benefits, you know, moving forward if you haven't put in place, you know, if you didn't go through that kind of structured process that we just talked about here. So I think it's a, it's a you know, really, really balancing those, those things. Well, Jeff, I mean, I, I know people can read the, the guest commentary, uh, uh, you know, to get more details, but, but I think we, we definitely covered a lot of ground today. You definitely offered a lot of food for thought and advice for companies in, in this area. And I'm sure there's, a, you know, always a lot of interest in, in TMS and, and how to, you know, implement them correctly. So Appreciate your, your insights and advice today. Yeah, always always appreciate uh, spending time with you discussing this uh, this industry that we both love and uh, try to figure out uh, solutions for, for shippers and 3PLs and, and, and frankly learn a lot um, along the way. So Great. Well, well uh, certainly look forward to having you on the program again and, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the near future here. And uh, I want to thank those of you that joined us today. Uh, if you um, have any questions uh, for, for Jeff, uh, and you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Invista website or on Talking Logistics, um, you can post a question there. I'm sure Jeff will be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you all. I look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.